Great stop here. Can Clint Dempsey score? Yes! The Indians ahead! Oh, he's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it! Again! Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast. We are mere days slash hours slash minutes away from a summer of footballing brilliance. Uh, I I have got World Cup fever. Christopher Nee, have you got World Cup fever? I have got World Cup fever. David Hartrick, I think you've had it for about six weeks. I've had World Cup fever since uh, 2014, mate. <laughs> It never ends for me. It just starts the minute the old one stops. Mm. Uh, Daniel Story's not with us. He's gone suspiciously quiet. Uh, reports that he's tried to smuggle his way onto a plane remain unconfirmed. But we shall mm. see. Uh, following last week's first half of a preview, we're going to look at the uh, the four groups to kind of finish us off. Groups E to H, if that's all right, chaps? Yes. Good. Uh, question one, Chris. Have Brazil got so much talent that the psychological effect of 2014 doesn't matter? Well, being an expert on both Brazilian football and psychology, <laughs> uh, now I'm I'm not qualified to answer this question, but um, I do know, despite having not seen them in yellow shirts since probably the semi-final against Germany, that there is serious talent in this Brazil squad. Serious talent. Um, I think... They have an excellent goalkeeper in Allison. Uh They've got a couple of old heads in Thiago Silva and Felipe Luiz. I'm a big fan of Marquinhos as well, actually, back there. Um, Marcelo and Casemiro, we all know about at Real Madrid. They have creative players who are backed up by the likes of Fernandinho. And then the, the, the forwards is just embarrassing. right? So they, uh, they've got Tyson, who has... I think fewer than 10 caps at 30 years old. But he's there along with Douglas Costa, Gabriel Jesus, who I, I think is fantastic, Roberto Firmino and Neymar. So it is undoubtedly a, a Brazil squad that's capable of going all the way. Um, whether they do it, I think, is less about psychology mm-hmm. and less about 2014. And more about how that talent is managed. Yeah, I think I think that's where I kind of come back to it. And for the the reasons you've mentioned, and then it's when I just you take a cursory glance at the lineup that started that that semi final against Germany in, in twenty fourteen, and there's eight, eight players I think in the starting eleven that aren't in the squad this time, which is pretty ridiculous. But like Cesar, Maicon, David Luiz, Dante, Luis Gustavo, Hulk, Oscar, Bernard, all, all aren't there. Uh, Fred, even there is a Fred, but it's a different Fred. Um, yeah, and all right, so that there might still be that kind of thing around the camp, and and obviously with Neymar being such a big part of the pre-match in in that game and not, uh, his unavailability, I I'm not sure how much that will necessarily 
affect them. It might do if there's no, a long. I think they're too good a place for it. Yeah, I think if, if it becomes obvious they're going to play Germany in the last sixteen, if one of them messes up early, loses what their opening league, uh, group game, and it suddenly becomes very obvious that the last sixteen clash is going to be Brazil against Germany, then that might, the with enough of a build up, that might start to play in their minds, and they'll be reminded of it more and more. Uh, they'll have some baggage to work for if that is the case, but yeah. I, I just think they're in such good shape under Tite. He seems to be doing really well from from you know very much looking on the outside. And I think that's bigger than the Ghost of 2014. Um, regardless, I think that there are there are lessons that they'll have learned. I think psychology, psychologically, they handled Neymar's injury really badly four years ago, and I think they'll have learned from that. Uh, they were obviously slaughtered by Germany, and they will have learned from that as well. Um, and they they played David Luiz, and they have definitely learned from that. So, although thumpings do leave a scar, you get beaten that heavily. On an occasion like that at a home tournament, it leaves a scar. But four years is a long time, and and this is different. And actually, if they were playing again in Brazil, you'd worry for them a little bit probably. But the circumstances just aren't comparable. Mm. I think probably, although it's difficult to get into their heads, it's it's a game against Germany that I think is probably the only slight hint that it will just come down to their ability and and their management. Mm. Dave is Brazil are the not overwhelming favourites, but they are favourites in lots of places. Um, does that kind of stack up for you? Um, yeah, I mean, Tite is uh, he's a he's a brilliant manager because what he's sort of managed to do is shackle all that talent going forward with uh, a proper back four, basically, and they've. Uh, they've been lucky in that a couple of players have come through. Um, so, you know, if you go right back to the, the goalkeeper now, you have Alisson and Edison actually competing to be Brazil's goalie rather than just being the best of a, of a pretty average bunch. Uh, they've got four really good centre-backs. Miranda will start, probably Thiago Silva next to him, but Marquinhos and Pedro Garamella are really, really good. Marcello's obviously very good and has more license to go forward because he has proper protection from midfield by, you know, likes Casemiro and Fred who will step in, split the centre-backs, give him a bit of license to go forward. And the other side, we've got my mate Danilo in Danny Elvis's absence. I would actually play Fagner, but I think you'll go with Danilo. And it's a really strong back four. And after the... Scolari went after the 7-1 and then they brought Dunga in because they wanted the complete opposite and it was the completely the wrong thing to do because Dunga's time has been and gone. Tite is a very progressive coach he he plans well I think it's it's I mean that if you if you look at the stats you know 41 goals in 18 qualifying games and that that is the hardest qualifying run anywhere in world football um only conceded five in the last 21 games now, I think it is. Uh, they only conceded 11 in qualifying, and I think seven or eight of them were in the first five or six matches when he was still getting them used to a new system. It's just, I mean, for a Brazilian team, these are just insane defensive numbers. And in terms of the sort of Germany mental block, I think it's worth sort of saying they have played against Germany and beaten them in the friendly, and that will remove... Uh, some of that that little 
that little nagging doubt. I know it's only a friendly, but it just removes, it just takes their capes off. You know, it just makes them feel a little bit more human. So if they do come up against them, then, then yeah. But the thing about Brazil is that they have all the talent in the world, but they could, they could be beaten by themselves. Mm. There is, there is that element, but it's a difficult tournament to pick a favorite for, um, do they does the sort of tag sit well with them? Yeah, probably because you just you can't. As a man who used to work in the stats industry, Ryan, before your move to the BBC, <laughs> you can't argue with figures, can you? We're not going to get through an episode without mentioning my new job. No, okay. not at all. Um, but I is mean, it we're, worth? We're eight minutes in, and we haven't mentioned any of the other three teams in in their group of Switzerland, uh, Costa Rica, and Serbia. Who, Dave, do you think will? cause them the most trouble or is uh, it are brazil on for nine points and no i think i think brazil are on for nine points i think if 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 they don't get nine points it won't be down to the standard of their opposition really switzerland have got some very good players but a few of the wrong side of 30 some of their better players are coming off lousy seasons um and they will be very reliant on shakiri for inspiration mm-hmm. um uh, Costa Rica, as as we saw in the England game, they're going to be ultra defensive. Um, when sort of Joel Campbell is your big creative player, um, <laughs> then you're struggling really. And Brian Ruiz is is not fully fit at the moment, um, so he can't carry the load. But uh, if you were going to ask me what team might cause them the most trouble, there is a chance Serbia will be. Serbia have got this. Uh, like ridiculous array of talent, far more than you think. Um, you know, Kolarov and Ivanovic in defence, and Gruic, you know, the Liverpool lad, the next big defensive midfielder. Oh, yeah. He's there, Lajic, Matic, Milinkovic, Savic, Milijovic, Tadic, Mitrovic. I like the lad who plays on the other side of Tadic a lot, and they tend to swap wings. as a lad called Kostic. Um, but the problem with Serbia is that as you sort of stack it up and you think, well, that's that's quite a good side to potentially take on Brazil, but they shoot themselves in the foot so often. I mean, they're I couldn't give you an exact figure, but I reckon if they if they conceded ten goals in qualifying, as I said, I don't I don't know if they did concede ten. I'm just plucking a number from the air. I bet at least nine of them were were literally down to either the whole back four making an error or an individual error. Just extraordinary riding of their luck to to get there, and they also the sort of the Man City tactical fouling thing. They try to do that, but unfortunately they're not quite good enough to pull it off. So they just all end up getting yellow carded. So the problem <laughs> the problem is they could end up being a couple of key men down as well. So yeah, with the rule changes as well. Yeah, it, it We've just... We've been here before it, with Serbia, haven't we? This this Dark Horses tag that they seem to carry all the time and never live mm-hmm. up to. Yeah, and I, you see the other side to Serbia as well is that I'm just not sure um, what that group's like together because, I mean, there's there's been all sorts of stuff come out. The management denied a lot of it, but the new managers come in and 
The first thing he did was swap goalies, which hacked off half the team, apparently. And then he took the captaincy off Ivanovic and gave it to Kolarov. And that hacked off the other half of the team, apparently. And there was denials, but it's quite, you know, very well-placed people are saying, well, yeah, there's a rift in that squad. And not only that, Kolarov, I I put in my preview, I put Kolarov as the key man, really. Not because of anything he's going to do on the pitch, but if there are problems... He is going to have to. Uh, he's going to have to be the sort of the one who sits there and sorts it out and gets people, you know, turn around and playing the right way. Good job he's got such a happy-go-lucky persona to do it, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? That they, they, they are um, what you, you listed earlier—a list of very big characters. Mm. And if they can get it together in this group, maybe second is there for them. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, Switzerland are a bit of a mess, and they, if if they can pull themselves together and get and get themselves up into second place, it would actually be a little bit of a shock. Despite them being the sixth best team in the world, if you believe the FIFA rankings, yeah. <clears throat> I'm I'm very fond of Switzerland as a country and as a footballing nation, but uh, I can do without them in the second round this time round. Yeah, yeah. Well. I th- I <laughs> I don't think that'll be a concern. But Costa Rica bottom, I think Switzerland third and Serbia second. Mm. There are lots of players when I look through the Switzerland squad that I think four years ago I got really excited about them. And yeah, exactly. I, not really kicked on. I I worked out um, for their strikers. If you look at their recognised forward that they've picked in the squad, I think they've played about 144 games over the season and they've scored 44 goals between them, which is 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 not great, but it's not as bad as some. But then you take out Granovic, who scored, uh, I think, 22 of them, and they go down between the rest of them to about one every five games, which in a three <laughs> three-game World Cup group, mm-hmm. not great. It is a big shame Aaron Derdiok has not kicked on the way he should have. Shout out mm. to the world. And Umbolo himself. Umbolo himself, you know, who, who looks so good and has just never, like you say, never developed, never no. kicked yeah. off. I, I had his, uh, whatever the opposite of a breakout season is, I had his season of that um, in the 100. It was really disappointing to see him not, not really push on at all. Mm. Question two. Um is the only thing that stops Germany winning complacency, David Hardrick? No. I, I, I've seen a lot of people saying that um, Germany are much stronger than they were four years ago. I, I don't. I think they're a little bit stronger. I don't think they're much stronger. But I think the quality of their main competitors, France, who did, of course, beat them in the Euros 2-0, we should remember, Brazil and Spain have all come up a couple of notches and I think that I don't think complacency ever really comes into it with Germany Uh, but what I do think is they've been playing the same way with the same core group of players for quite a while now I don't think there are many surprises past Timo Werner potentially uh, in that side and I think when they come up against the really good sides bear in mind they're going to have to beat two of them possibly there's a chance they might even have to beat three of them mm-hmm. to win it um, I just I just can't see it I would it's this weird thing where I can't see them winning the World Cup this time but I but I would never bet against them 
in any game they played, I'd never bet against them. But I just, I just can't see it. And all this, this thing about Sane has been a bit of a smokescreen for me as well, as if to say, you know, oh, look at the Germans, they can drop Sane, unbelievable. They've got nothing like the sort of uh, pool of players that France are picking from. And they've dropped Sane because they would rather have somebody who gives them that 7 out of 10 every single time than somebody who gives them that like 12 out of 10 one game in five. Now, I I understand that. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's, and it's a system that clearly works for them, but... There's not this great production line behind this squad, you know. There are there are players who would get into the English squad who've been left out, no doubt about it. But there's not this vast array of talent. I just, it just doesn't feel like their year to me. So, but we'll see. But I am excited, quite excited to see Goretzka if he gets in and plays a bit because he looks a player from what I've seen. Um, but they are, yeah, I just don't think they've improved as much as a lot of people are saying. I think there's a bit of um, a bit of sort of, you know, bias creeping in. Oh, it's tournament football. Oh, it's Germany. Of course, they're going to do well. Of course, they'll go a long way. But, I mean, retaining the World Cup is really, really difficult, isn't it? <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you see, I mean, first of all, do you see Germany topping their group or... Could Mexico and or Sweden um, sucker punch them? They could be sucker punched. I, I think Germany will top that group, but um, they will do well not to underestimate Mexico and indeed Sweden. Um, I, I don't think a combination of Mexico, Sweden and uh, South Korea will stop Germany. And I don't think Switzerland, Serbia or Costa Rica will stop them either. Um, second round against Brazil might be worth watching. Uh, but I, th- I think the three things, rather than complacency being the issue with Germany, I think the three things that can stop them are Brazil, France and Spain. Mm. Um, that's not to say necessarily that, that they will, but I think those are Germany's biggest enemies rather than themselves. Um, if they can avoid that second round against uh, Brazil, then it's the quarterfinal against someone like Belgium, England, Colombia, Poland. Um, and I, I think they'll, they'll be too good for any of those as well. So... <clears throat> I think it comes down to whether complacency is the issue or just that retaining the World Cup is next to impossible. Because it's, I don't think anyone's really expecting them to be actually complacent. They may fail, but they're not going to be complacent. It's not like uh, it's not like teams rack up retained World Cup wins for fun. Mm-hmm. They know what they're facing and they know that they're, they're, their target is a big one. Um but I think they've got a really good chance. The, the, the fact that they've been there and done it, I think, does work in their favour. The manager knows how to, to win it. They've got a lot of quality. And I think they've got um, unbelievable strength in depth, at least as far as the bottom of their squad. And it's, it's interesting to hear Dave talk about what might be behind that. Um, but I, and I think the Sane thing is really interesting because it's... Um, there's been a lot of talk about it, but ultimately, if Julian Brandt wasn't fit, Sane goes to the World Cup. So mm. it's it's not it's not a shun necessarily. It's just no. a reference for, for for a very very good player. He will play. Sane will play for Germany for like ten fifteen years. No yeah, danger whatsoever. But it's just in this 
in this situation and knowing the job at hand to actually retain a World Cup, he wants consistency. That's that's what he's after. Yeah, because he because they're not being complacent about going on and winning it again. I think. Mm. Um, so I, I, I've not really settled at all on which of these four squads is the best one. Which of those four teams is my favourite to win it? But Germany are in with a shout. And I think this this probably reflects back to the the first question. They are too good and too professional for them to take anything for granted. Um, so, if anything, uh, us being complacent about them being complacent is the real error. Yeah. What's the crack of Germany's keeper? Because like, Neuer has not played much this season. Is he still number one? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. I I believe he's pretty much gonna gonna walk straight back in, but but we'll see. But there's not there's not a lot in this group that's gonna test them. You know, they've got a, a quite a a soft start. I mean, South Korea feel from from what I've seen, South Korea feel like the worst team in this tournament to me. So I think that game against Germany could be absolutely brutal. Mexico are very sort of um they've got a manager that half the players hate and all the fans hate who will be going after the World Cup and will be replaced by Andre Villas Boas apparently. Um and they've still like Mexico's names are still there. Carlos Vela, Javier Hernandez, Rafa Marquez, Hector Herrera. <laughs> You know, Herving Lozanzo is a, is a really, really good player, but I fear for him because he's an absolute nutcase. I don't know if either of you two have seen any of him, but he's like his first season, he scored about a million goals in Holland, but also been sent off twice and got about seven or eight bookings because you just can't take somebody going through him or having a go at him. And you just think, yeah, World Cup referee is going to absolutely love that. Mm, sounds familiar, Dave. Uh, yeah. That and is then, me. And then... Sweden are, you know, they did really well to get there, but that that um, second leg effort against Italy, where they were sort of clinging on for for dear life, it was a proper Mourinho away at the new Camp performance, you know, but even more so, really was the sort of absolute limit of their abilities. But they, the the one thing Sweden have got that might trouble them is they've got a striker who's just absolutely banging form you know Marcus Berg's got 32 in 29 this season but you can't see German being Germany really being stretched in this group much and if they are if they do struggle a little bit or if they do come unstuck well you know then you have to question are they are they really better or have they just sort of stood still a bit? But Chris is exactly right. The the biggest fear of complacency is by being complacent ourselves when it comes to Germany because you just don't back against them. Fair, pretty comprehensive. Uh, question three. Belgium, Chris. Great individuals or is there a team in there? Um, I th- I think there is a team in there. And that comes with the following long list of caveats settling. Um, <laughs> they definitely have great individuals. There is absolutely no doubt of that. And there's no reason whatsoever why players of that quality um, shouldn't be a team as long as the right combination of those players is there in the right places. Dave, I'm sure you've got something to say about that when it comes to you. Um, and I think ultimately what we're talking about really 
and this is a bit of a leap because those types of um, very high quality attacking players treading on each other's toes is a factor as well but what we're talking about really is whether Roberto Martinez is capable of creating a team <laughs> from all of these individuals most of them play in great teams this isn't a, a some kind of golden generation of players who come through and they're playing at you know all corners of the earth for, for a bunch of nobody teams these are world-class players playing in the teams where they fit best um, so it's not like they're individuals without any ability to be team players. Um, so I feel a little bit uncomfortable going much further than this because I'm an England supporter. Um, so it will make me look very silly, but I, I don't know that Martinez is up to it. Um, they've, they've got to have relatively high expectations of what they can achieve this summer. And I think he's likely to fall short of those. I don't see his management day to day. Um, but I've not seen anything that suggests that he can handle the, the characters and the quality of players that he's got in his squad. I still don't think he can keep his team solid at the back. Um, Costa Rica scored against him this week. And I, I think the jump from being a good Belgium side, which they are, with him as their manager, to reaching a World Cup semi-final, that's a big leap. And I think it's a leap that's too big for Martinez. Um, and... And really, with it not being a golden generation, you could argue it's, it, it might well be the waste um, of the first wave of, of, of a very bright future for, for Belgium. When you factor in the Euros and the World Cup together, unless he completely proves me wrong in my expectations about him specifically, they're going to look back on two tournaments where they had the quality to win it and fell massively short. Uh, I, I think there's every chance England score against them and if, if England and Belgium can both win their first two games and England score against Belgium all bets are off as far as how far Belgium get in this tournament because you know there's potentially a pretty difficult game against Colombia or Poland coming up so if England can beat them who knows where they end up and, and you know I, I fancy Poland or Colombia to give them problems as well as giving England problems I'm sure but if they don't Brazil or Germany will and I think with the standard of players they've got, you really have to ask whether a quarter-final exit would be success for Belgium. Yeah, I think Belgium's biggest problem is that Roberto Martinez is their manager, uh, for a lot of the reasons that, that you've mentioned. And it is a, it's going to be a big shame for them that when you look through their squad, the number of players that will be 30 or above in four years' time for the next World Cup, uh, Hazard, De Bruyne particularly, um, Bachelorette will be 28. Um, Dembele obviously will be 34. Like Vertonghen and company, uh, Vermalen will all be pretty much done. Alderweireld will be 33. Courtois will be 30. This is their, their last proper shot of, with this for this group of players, and it is a bit of a shame that it, it feels like one of those things that if the, if they are to win it or get close or get to the final. There will be stories in all of these players' autobiographies in kind of six, mm. seven years' time about how the, the players had a meeting after a, a disappointing draw with England in the group stages and basically said, right, this is how we're going to do it. Forget whatever Bobby Martin is, is telling us. Or they'll, they'll get Thierry Henry on side and everything will go kind of around him. That It just doesn't 
it never it never felt like the right fit and I and I know he's not been accepted very much in Belgium either that Martinez is kind of he's got Belgium doing good things but you know anybody could get this team to qualify for a World Cup I think this, this group of players that you just have to kind of give them a, a pick eleven players and and they will they will get you through a, a qualifying group um, I think that's the the crux that when it comes to a, a knockout game, I don't think Martinez will, will know the right way to set up. Um, there was the there was an interview with him in the the Guardian. They referenced the Mexico three three, where Mexico kind of picked the right lineup to uh, stifle Belgium, and it, and it ended up and Belgium played like five at the back or three four three five two or whatever, um, and then it was three three, but Belgium weren't set up correctly. And De Bruyne made comments in the the press immediately afterwards that he was frustrated and, and disappointed in, in Martinez's choices that I think the players will, will question him once or twice if if things don't go don't go well. You could argue that all he needs to do to get this team to a semi final would be to make it the sum of its parts. Yeah. They're extraordinary players. Yeah, they're they're really good players and they're all playing in systems that aren't huge you know, they're they're not massive jumps from each other. That the three four three that has become relatively common uh, for for many teams with with a player dropping into this, uh, with centre backs or four at the back and and a holding midfielder that there is enough of a a system there that you can you can slot a lot of these players into or the players that you'd want to you basically get the best from De Bruyne Hazard and Lukaku um, and do that as as easily as you can and you there's enough there in that defence to hold it together for six or seven matches Dave. Um, I think I, I think you've covered a lot of the ground really I, I, the problem is with these players is that I think I think they do play in reasonably similar systems but a lot of them have highly individualistic roles and that's one of the big problems so you look at uh, sort of Hazard and Mertens Drews Mertens they, they both have freedom in their club roles they both have uh, an amount of freedom to, to do pretty much what they want. But they're playing with Lukaku up front who needs regular service to get the best out of them. So you've got two players who both can't operate completely freely and then you've got a striker who desperately needs the ball into him. So suddenly all three players you're sort of only getting 70% from instead of you know even getting 100% from one. And like De Bruyne doesn't get the space through the middle because they don't do the pep fallback thing, you know, overloading them and shifting mm-hmm. it left to right. So he doesn't get that pocket of space in the middle. Um, you, like Thomas uh, Mounier, uh, you look at him as a wing back, and I mean, he's he started his um, career as a striker. And you're asking him to play as a wing back, and, you know, like he, the defensive responsibility is just, it's just not there. And, the thing about Martinez is he's been he's been lucky because any one of the three of us could have got Belgium through that qualifying group. I mean, Greece were were in second and didn't even run them close. And I mean, they had Belgium had four games against Cyprus and Gibraltar, so you know they absolutely spanked a load of sides in the in the lead up to this, but. It was an absolute tapping of a group, and I, I, I was talking on Twitter a little bit today. I, I just, you see how some of the 
the players act on the pitch and how you know I go back to that that sort of when Lukaku was told Martinez was going to be manager on the bench and he couldn't believe it and what have you and you just think if things don't go their way there there could be a proper explosion in this squad bear in mind that you know De Bruyne like you say Ryan publicly questioned his role uh, after the Mexico draw the really weird love triangle stuff which I'm not even going to go into there was another couple of players had a spat it just all feels like a bit of a powder keg and it feels like the next manager in because I, I, I only the his contract's up Martinez this year and only winning that World Cup keeps him in the job because in my honest opinion he'll be gone within a a week of the tournament ending at whatever point they go out. The next man in has got this ridiculous list of players and he's got to put lines through a few of them because he's got to find a team out of this stupidly talented squad. And at the moment, they just haven't got a team. They haven't got... You know, like Italy, I I always consider in, in previous years, Italy have been the masters of finding a balance and you'd sit there and go like how you know how can they leave totty out how can they leave you know so and so out but they always find their balance martinez just isn't talented enough to do it and the point i made in my um in my preview was that half his squad they if, if you look at de bruyne and martins they're at uh, de bruyne martins and hazard they're comfortably in the top two or three players in their position in the world his first 11 probably 10 out of the 11 are comfortably in the top 10 players in their position in the world. Some of them top five. Roberto Martinez is, is not even in the top 20 managers in world football. And there's there's some who wouldn't even put him top 50. And that's where they're going to fall down. That's their issue. Fair enough. Um, hello to Panama engineers. You're also in this group. Um, <laughs> Question four. It has been suggested by Daniel Story that Group H will be the most fun to or the best group to watch. Mm. Are we uh, are we agreeing with this, Christopher? Nee? Uh, well, Daniel Story is a man who just watched England's plane on flight radar go <laughs> from England to uh, St Petersburg. Um, it hadn't really dawned on me until this question dropped in, and actually, um, I'm erring towards it being true. I think one of the biggest things is that I know next to nothing about these teams and that m- massively works in the, in this group's favour. There are good signs. Uh, Lewandowski and, and, and Hamez being there, are, that's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's potential there. Um, and Colombia in particular showed us last time how, how good they can be to watch. So I think we could cross our fingers for a repeat of that. I always look out for Japan's group. They owe me one because I looked out for their group in 2014 after they teased me in 2010 and let me down. Yeah, it's not going to happen, mate. Nope, I don't. Honestly, who knows about Senegal? I'm not going to pretend I've got a clue. I recognise most of their squad, but as a team, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a Senegal game. I think what helps this group is that the fixtures have fallen kindly. It's Colombia versus Japan first up. I'll have a bit of that. Um, and a Poland versus Colombia in the second fixture means that it counts for everything for both of those teams, regardless of what happens on the first game. Yep. Um, so, with 
Japan versus Poland and Senegal versus Colombia on the last day, there will be qualification to play for somewhere within that mix. And you wouldn't 100% guarantee Colombia and Poland winning those games. Not 100%. So I think it will be a an intriguing group to watch and I think it will be an entertaining group to watch to an extent. Whether it's the best to watch, I think it'll be better than Group A. I think uh, B might give it a run for its money depending on how the, the first game goes in that group. It does have the potential to be a bit predictable Portugal and Spain just going through. It's better than Group C. It's better than Group E, F and G. But Group D might just give it a run for its money. Mm. I know you guys spoke about that last week, the Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, Nigeria group. That's got potential. So, let's call Group H top two. Fine. I On Group D, I've entered a tipping competition with a group of friends where you have to pick the results of every game. And Group D, I ended up with... Uh, Argentina, Croatia, Nigeria, all finishing on five points. Um, oh, you know, which would on. be tasty and uh, goal difference happening. Obviously, not going to happen. Uh, so I, I think H is more appealing to me than D, just about. And there's a little bit of it, uh, just because the kits will be slightly better. Um, <laughs> Fair. Japan, Colombia, Senegal, Poland. That is a, a nice mix of of shirts, um, which will help. They're they're all four are pretty hipster teams again I don't pretend to know everything or even all that much about all of those sides but there are enough players in there that I get a little bit kiddy about Jaime's showed last time that he's he's very good um, and that there's other players in that Columbia team that are big fans of Kagawa obviously in uh, Okazaki and the, the Japan side and, and then uh, Poland are decent uh, Milik and Lewandowski are uh, are pretty potent they scored against Northern Ireland in the Euros so they must be decent I'm I'm a, a big fan of it uh, I think the they've got uh, they had Sunday they're one of the Sunday afternoon and evening fixtures yeah um, in the second week and then obviously the final uh, day of group matches there in the afternoon and then uh, group G are in the evening um, yeah. But yeah I'm all over this because that'll be just about the point where you get sad that most of the games are over. Yeah, agreed. Um, I I love this group. I think this could be... I, th- I think Group D is the most interesting, but I think this is the most exciting. And uh, Japan, Chris, aren't, aren't going to do it. They, they had a oh, hand no, grenade I'm, of a I'm manager. Well and Akira Nishino was sort of... He, he came in... Uh, Came in on my wife's birthday, April the twelfth, uh, and has um, it, it, he's he's you know he's it's very difficult to turn a team around. They got through qualifying okay and got their big results, but they also I mean I saw them I I watched that game where they lost at home to the UAE and they were just awful, and like Kazuki Honda can't play ninety minutes anymore, but he will probably start. Kagawa doesn't tend to start. Um, he started a friendly today against Paraguay, but he doesn't tend to start. So they're, they're only on the start of their journey, really, and they'll just be happy with anything they can get out of this. And, you know, the, it's the last chance to see Kazuki Honda play. So, you know, I think He's that is... He's got to be 39 next time, 38, 39 next time out. Yeah, yeah, so... There is, it... There's a, there's a definite argument that 
2010 was lightning in a bottle for Japan. Yeah. Because yeah. 2014 was a stinker, and every year that goes by, it seems further and further away. Yeah. Well, the, the, Nishino's come in, it's there, he's the technical, he was the technical director of the Japanese FA, and I think they are thinking longer term. Um, but Poland score loads of goals, but they also concede loads of goals. So they scored about a million in 10 qualifying games, but they also conceded about three quarters of a million. Um, so they're lots of fun. Um, and they've got a few players uh, for whom three games in sort of a week and a half is going to be a little bit of a stretch. So come the knockouts, I think that's, that's going to tell if they get through. Colombia have all the weapons they had last time. So they, you know, they, they, they've got Falcao, um, who's, who's making his World Cup debut, but they've also got, you know, that, that wonderful creative player in Harmes, who we all know absolutely loves a World Cup at this stage. But they've also got a Brighton player, so I quite fancy them to win it. Uh, <laughs> but they have, they have sort of... Uh, Colombia are a funny team because... When you watch Colombia, not to like a Belgium level, but you never quite feel they're getting as much as they possibly could. You know, like the defence, Santiago Arias and Yerry Mina and Zapata and Sanchez's backup and what have you. But they still look shaky. It still looks a bit odd. But then they sort of ground out two goalless draws in their warm-up games. And then you sort of think, well, actually, could could they grind their way on but yeah so they're they're great and they will sort of quite admirably look to score out their weaknesses but Senegal Chris that you mentioned what I really like uh, about this year's African teams is there's that horrible myth about how African teams play which is that they all that they're all you know, strong, powerful, all these horrible words that come out that mm. are just, uh, you know, casually racist and stereotypical and all this sort of thing. Uh, every single one of the African teams at this World Cup play in a really distinct and different way. And Senegal, are they are the fastest of them. They they try to sort of, not, not Liverpool teams, but they... They try to get as much pace into their attack as is as is humanly possible. Is it, is it built round Sane? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Sané. To, Mane, to a po- got confused with Mane, yeah. <laughs> but to a point. But they they've got quite like a Premier League core, you know. So there's mm. like Mane and Juve and Sacco and Bay Niang, who was at Watford and is, as I've told you before, one of the two worst players I had to watch the IBWN 100. Um, and Idris Gay behind and Czech Coyote. And they've also got uh, Keita Balde, who I don't know if you know anything about, but I mean, he yep. can be absolutely sensational or he can be absolute pony. There never seems to be like any in between. But what they do struggle with is when a side sort of dominates the ball, they, they get, you can see them get, anxious and they start looking longer and longer and longer to just try and get themselves on the front foot you know and just try and a alleviate the pressure but b create that space for Mane to look into so it will be interesting to see if they can sort of go in and bully a Poland or or bully a Colombia from the off and get themselves into a position where they're ahead and then can they hold on to it you know if they're if they're two nil up on the hour can they see that last half an hour out? So they're a really interesting side. Fabulously inconsistent, 
And the best thing about a World Cup is the less you know, the better. And like Senegal's inconsistency really does represent that because they, I, I mean, it's no joke to say in a single knockout game, they could blow anyone off the park, which frightens me to death as, as an England fan. But they could also lose five or six nil. Again, there's there's not much of a sort of in between with them, so I'm really excited about seeing them. So you've got you got three teams who have got a real chance of going out of this group, and Japan, who I've done them down a bit, but there's that you know they're no they're not going to be a soft touch. They I don't think they're going to do much in the group, but each team is going to have to play well to get past them. So it it just feels like uh, and like Ryan says. Colombia in yellow, Japan in that gorgeous blue kit. I mean, that Japan kit is stunning. Uh, Poland in red, and then Senegal like topping it off with they they have some uh, they have some just just brilliant brilliant fans as well. You know, a, a bit like Nigeria, they are going to absolutely like capture your heart. And I, I just I can't wait to see the African sides at this World Cup and Senegal. I think a bit like Nigeria in Group D, who I've I've talked up to the point I've now convinced myself they're going to lose all three games. I, you know, I'm really excited about seeing Senegal. Really excited. All right, catch your breath a second, Dave, because we've got question five and it's a big one. <laughs> um, we'll start with Chris. What represents success in Russia for England? For me, this is open and shut. I don't think there's a great deal of wiggle room here at all in terms of what maximum success is, what minimum success is, where they can go, what their, their potential is. Okay. I think the quarterfinal is England's ceiling. I think the quarterfinal is certainly achievable for England. And I think the quarterfinal is the minimum achievement that rep- represents any form of success. To me, it's that simple. And do you think uh, if Gareth... Southgate doesn't get England's quarterfinals. He won't be in a job. No, I, th- I think he will be in a job. Maybe unless we fail to get out of the group. Okay. I think the FA have embraced him, yep. which makes sense given his background. I'm happy to embrace him as well. Uh, if they don't get out of the group, I might review that. But if they go out in the second round, I will um, judge it based on who we played, how we played, how that played out. Mm-hmm. And is your quarterfinal prediction presumably that's based on England finishing second and eventually meeting Brazil in that last eight match? Um, I I think England will win the group, right? But I think whoever they hit in a quarterfinal, um, will cause problems. I think if England win, so it's basically you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you win the group, uh. The your likely quarterfinal opponent is the winner of Group E, which we've yep. all said will be Brazil. Brazil. If you come second in the group and then beat the, the team that finished top of Group H, your likely quarterfinal opponent is the winner of Group F, which is Germany. So, yep. I mean, that's you know, obviously to win a World Cup you have to beat the biggest teams, but that is kind of where the we would all expect the line to stop, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think they've got a, a, a Brazil or a Germany win in them at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, and I feel a little bit like I'm sticking my neck out and hoping for a win over someone like Colombia. Um, I don't think Poland are an easy touch by any stretch of the imagination. So I, th- I think a second round win mm-hmm. is is the 
that's the reach, I think. Do you think and a quarter final is to me a success? Do you think it's because it's been so long since England won an knockout game mm. uh, that that is all? I think that's what it, it kind of comes down to. It's just for all the this is a lovely squad of of England players. I can say this as a neutral that there there is a lot of nice young boys in there. Um, <laughs> that but it just to, for for it to be seen as progress and to be moving on from what has come before it, you need there needs to be one one victory. By hook or by crook, by extra time, by penalties, whatever it needs to, you need to just find a way through. Yeah, I think so. That is hanging over us a little bit, and it has been too long. That Denmark game, you know, you you can feel every year that it's been since, since that match. Um, so, I think it's important that they they do win that second round game. I think it's possible they do it. Um, they're certainly capable, and I think if they can beat either of the likeliest opponents from, from Group H going out in the quarterfinal to Brazil or Germany I can live with that at the moment Dave, uh, do you see England top in the group? Yeah, I think if, if it's alright by you, I think it's worth just saying a little bit about Tunisia and Panama because we did sort of completely ignore them <laughs> in their group question, I think Tunisia are going to cause us a lot of problems because they're going to sit back very much play on the counter but they've been really hurt by their injuries their their star player has got a cruciate so he's gone leaving a lot of their sort of attacking uh, ideas on Wabi Kasri's shoulders so uh, that game against Tunisia is going to be a slog because we're just going to have to break them down Panama are a slightly different kettle of fish because Panama really haven't got too much to lose and I I don't think they will sit back and just say you know well we're just happy to be here I think they will want to have a little go the problem with Panama is that a lot of them are really old (laughs) so I'm quite glad we've got them in the second game when that sort of uh, the sort of adrenaline of the first ever game in the World Cup has calmed down a little bit Um, but the other thing about Panama is they've got one or two sort of certified nutcases Blas Perez when he's not oh, you know when he's not diving is busy kicking goalkeepers in the chin in friendlies and things like that you know they they yeah they they neither side realistically should pose a problem for England but both probably will to different degrees but I I still think we'll beat them yeah Dave I feel better about Tunisia having seen the Costa Rica game yeah, we, we faced a team that is going to set up in a well, at least defensively set up in a relatively similar fashion and similar ethos at least, um, and found a way early, and then controlled the game. Mm. What we can't, what we can't do against either of them is get to seventy-five minutes with it at nil-nil and then just completely poo the bed. Uh, that's the thing, you know. We've we've got to got to got to just be patient and keep doing the things we're good at, but. In terms of sort of what represents success, I'm 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 with Chris in terms. Of if you want me to put a game on it, a quarter final would obviously equal success. But my sort of my threshold is I want to come away from this tournament feeling like we've been beaten by a better side. So if we play Poland or Colombia and it's a really good game and we've had a go. 
and we go out 3-2 or something, I, I don't mind that. What I don't want to do at this tournament is go out thinking, well, the reason we're out is because we just got it completely wrong. It was all down to us. And I can go back over every tournament, you know, like, I'm not just talk, even talking about World Cups, you know, the two games against Portugal, we, we should have won them both. That game against Italy, we just retreated and got so deep when we, we could have gone at them. Uh, Iceland, I don't even want to talk about. Um, <laughs> we just We've had so many exits where you have to be honest and say, well, we've underperformed and it's been garbage. And the last World Cup, we played really well against Italy and then started really well against Uruguay and then just com- completely heads went. It was just a ridiculous situation and I just want to feel like I can I can not be proud of them because I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound like some Brexit nutter with my car flags and my face painted, but I just want to come away going, yeah, do you know what? That's all right. That will do. That's that's fine. I have no great issue with that. Whether I get to do that or not, I don't know. But if you if you sort of said like a valiant defeat against a better side, even if it was in the first knockout, I think at this stage I'd take it. But yeah, a quarter final would be a great success. We're not as as Chris has quite rightly said, we are nowhere near good enough to beat one of the top four seeds. We're nowhere near good enough to beat two of them, which is, I think, what you'd have to do if you were going to win it. And a, a quarter-final would just be lovely stuff to me. As the, but, you know, even saying that, if we played Germany in the quarter-final and it was another performance, it was another four, you know, four or five nil defeat, that would just that would just be so annoying. That would just really, <laughs> you know, if we if mentally we just completely chucked the ticket in, that would really upset me, but but yeah, it's the, the parameters for. I don't know how Chris feels about this, but I just think the parameters for England's success this year are very very different. And I don't know if you've read my preview, Chris, but yeah. like part of the part of the 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 big issue for for England here is that this World Cup just doesn't matter to anyone. So I'll explain this to you, Ryan. If if you're completely sort of apathetic about the world, you know England after previous years performances this this world cup's not going to change anything for you because i don't think you're going to get england rip roaring past anyone and they're not going to get further than that quarter final if you choose to be positive about it and see the growth and see the longer term change this world cup doesn't matter because it's sort of way too early mm. so you just sort of go well you know it, it's it, it it's a it's a stop on the road isn't it if they've given up on England altogether, then even if England go way past expectations, it's just gonna be it's just gonna measure how badly we sunk below expectations before. So it just doesn't matter. So England really have sort of got a bit of a roll of the dice this time. The the stress and the pressure isn't there in the same way. And the other point I made was that it's just enough for England to be interesting again. That's that's all I want, just England to be interesting. And they have been. There is no denying over this last year, they have the way they have played and the squads they have put together and the players they've brought into that first team, they are interesting again. And that's that's all I really want. What is it 
Oh, this is a question to either of you, so feel free to jump in. What is it about Gareth Southgate that I get the impression you would both rather have Gareth Southgate than Roberto Martinez? And even if his name was Robert, Mar- <laughs> Robert Martins, what what is it about Southgate that has appealed to you, either of you? He's a grown-up, and I think that's very important. I think he is uh, very switched on, very intelligent, very measured, and I think measured is the most important one of those. And I think he understands the tactical landscape he's heading into. I think he understands the media landscape he's heading into. He understands all of his players, their psyche. He knows many of them, of course, from from previous work as well. And I just think it's it's nice to have somebody as England manager who has come from an FA background that's allowed him to learn his trade and figure things out and become the modern England manager that we haven't ever had. Certainly in my lifetime, you'd, you'd question whether there were more than one or two that were really ahead of it. Bobby Robson was um, obviously very successful in, in England terms. Um, but when you go back through previous and Hodgson and you know, Allardyce kind of speaks for itself, Capello, McLaren, McLaren's the one that, that you know arguably should have been what Southgate is, I think. Um, but I don't think I've ever had a manager that I trust to kind of manage the the whole spectrum of what it means to be the England boss. Yeah, Chris. Chris is. We've spoke about this on the Styles Council. I'm not full Southgate yet, Ryan. Okay, but I am. I'm I'm certainly a quite a way further down the road than I was 12 months ago because and I think the big thing is that as somebody who is slightly skeptical and is not necessarily a fan I can I can see progress I can see where he's making decisions that are affecting change I can see where players trust him and I can see where he believes in his system and he believes in making sure that the players fit the system rather than a centre back hitting Waz's run as early as possible. You know, it you can see the change, you can see the adaptions he's made on the way. He's handled the media really, really well. He's been extremely keen to to make sure that there's no sort of cliques or separation in the England squad, which the players are clearly responding to. You can't help but be impressed but as I said I'm not quite full Southgate yet because he feels like a man to me who can put all the building blocks in place but whether he can build the chimney and stick it on top I don't know I don't know we'll see but yeah you can't I mean even from an outsider's perspective right and I'm sure you can't really find fault in what he's done in the last 12 months can you? No I think I think Chris sums up quite nicely he's, he's just acted like a grown up that there's, he's had some some prickly press conferences and and decisions to make, and and while on the pitch, England have, I think have been fine and and a lot of progress. And I worry that both of you got a little bit too giddy about the two recent friendlies, as neither opposition were actually trying. But then there's nothing saying them were, were hugely trying. But I think I think the big thing is the way that Southgate just made dealt with the Raheem Sterling non-story. 
Um, I know, you know, members of this pod managed to get themselves Radio 4 appearances from it and, and fair play to Danny's <laughs> story for that. But he just, he was very, very quick to shut it down. And, you know, and that I don't think any recent managers would have handled it as well um, and and made it made it very clear that it was a non-issue that it was. And I think that's the big, the big tick in his box. <clears throat> I'd agree. Uh before we go, who do you think starts up front in England's first game against Tunisia? Dave. Harry Kane. And do you think he's got a partner up there? Do you think there's two no, wide men? It's it's I think it's Kane through the middle, Sterling and uh Lingard either side, Ali just behind. Do what I did in the Styles Council and just pick a twelve-man England team yeah. crew. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite bit of that, Dave, was when I asked, "Have we got the right number of players here?" And we both went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah, definitely twelve. Good. And Pickford, keeper for both of you. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. We'll uh, we'll we'll draw a line under it then. We haven't figured out if and when we're recording pods during the World Cup because. I think it's if say all four of us will be watching the football at all of the time. Um <laughs> yes. but we'll we'll be back at some stage to dissect probably the group stages. Oh no, actually, no, I've got an idea for something we can do. Uh we'll okay. be back. Um, <laughs> you might find it correlates funnily enough with the morning after gameless matches, uh, gameless days. Yeah, it might <laughs> just be uh Friday the twenty ninth of June might be when we um, <laughs> yeah. we get back together. Uh, and and figure this out but uh, yeah until then enjoy the World Cup and we'll speak to you soon bye bye see you later